Greetings. Welcome to Sick Flick. So glad to be here for a second episode. Um, yeah. So glad to be here for a second episode. So glad that you're back. Hopefully, this time we're doing better. I forgot to mention last time, but I have a podcast mug. Not mine personally, but I have a podcast mug because, you know, it's like in Perks Me a Wallflower when Patrick is telling Charlie that every great writer has to wear a great suit. Well, every great podcast has to have a great podcasting mug. So I'm so excited. It says 20th Century Women on it because we love 20th Century Women. And yeah, that's really all I wanted to say. I just wanted to let you know that I got a great podcasting mug. But what we're going to be talking about in today's episode are the great, the magnificent comfort films. We're going to be talking about comfort films. What makes a film a comfort film? What are the factors that go into it? And just some of the great comfort films that I like to watch. Um, But first, I want to talk about what's happening in the industry. We still do not have a name. My, My brain is empty. My mind is blank. I wish I could. I wish I could come up with something, but I can't. Um, So we're just going to say what's happening in the industry right now. So this week, I have two things for you. The first one is we're going to be talking about Spike Lee's new film that's coming out. Spike Lee has a new has a new joint coming out in June, June 12th. It's going to be premiering on Netflix and it's called The Five Bloods. Um, It's about it's a war movie. And it's about four Vietnam vets that return to Vietnam looking for some of their fallen um, leaders and, I guess, colleagues. And it's about them trying to find them, but also, like, dealing with, I guess, the aftermath of what the war has caused on Vietnam. So that's coming out. We're really excited about that. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to see. I've seen, I don't know if there's a trailer out. I feel like there actually might be. I just haven't watched it. But... From the pictures I've been seeing, I'm interested to see what, like, how it's going to look and what it's going to be about. Um, I know that there are some standout characters in it. We have, I don't remember his name, but our good sis from The Last Black Man of San Francisco. Not Jimmy, but his friend, which I also don't remember his name. But he's going to be in it. I saw that Chadwick Boseman's going to be in it. Um, I can't remember anybody else right now, but I think that it's pretty star-studded. Is that the saying? All of a sudden, I can't remember the saying. Regardless, it's irrelevant. I'm really excited to see how that um, how that ends up being. It's kind of right around the corner with it being in June, um, so... Look forward to that. It's all going to be on Netflix. So again, look forward to that. We're excited for it to come out. And the second is the new Scarface movie, which I think we all know has garnered a mixed response. Um, But I want to focus on Luca Guadagnino is going to be directing it. Um, They... For the information I have right now is he's going to be directing it. The Coen brothers are writing it and it's going to be centered or it's going to be located in L.A. instead of in Miami. They're not trying to do a like exact 
replication of the story or do like a remake. They're trying to update the story um, rather than do an exact remake. So they're trying, I guess, to tell a more updated, different kind of story um, than the original. And yeah, I don't, I don't know because Luca is known for doing, you know, remakes and adaptations. And I think that he does a really good job at it. And I think it's better that he's not doing a complete remake of it, that he's trying to like revamp the story. I feel like that might do better. But again, attaching yourself to a remake of Scarface, I can see how it's going to garner mixed responses. Um, what I was, what I learned from doing the research for this is that he's also supposed to be directing a, I guess, remake or adaptation of Lord of the Flies. It didn't say when, but it said that his name was attached to it, which makes me really excited. I guess more so for Scarface because I love Lord of the Flies and I love the book. And I would like, I always wanted, like, I always said to nobody in particular, but to myself that like, I always wanted to see a remake of it now. So I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out. Yeah, I think he does a good job at doing like adaptations or redoing stories, even though I wasn't a big fan of Call Me By Your Name, which I guess is an unpopular opinion. But I'm still excited to see how it turns out. So those are the two things. I don't have any more information on like when it's coming out for the Scarface remake. I think, you know, they're still in the process. They just got Luca as the director. So they're still in the pre-production process. So I don't see it coming out anytime soon. Probably something that you might hear about next year. It might come out at the end of next year or if not early of 2022. Um, but yeah. Five Bloods is coming out June 12th. So look forward to that. But on to the content for today's show. We're going to be talking about comfort films. And first I want to talk about what makes a comfort film a comfort film. At least for me. Because I think what people find to be comfortable or what they find to be something that they go back to is vastly different. Very subjective and has a lot to do with like the kind of genres that you're into. Like my sister's a horror film fanatic. So she probably thinks that some sort of horror film is, is comforting, you know? Maybe she thinks that like Saw 5 is the least gory and it's the one that she can go back to the most. So she's like, I just like watching that the most. It's comfortable for me. It that could be that could be the case. And I guess I can't judge her on it. Comfort films are very subjective and very personal to people. Um, but for me, I feel like mine's the most reasonable, if we're being honest. I like dramas in general. I like really, like, I guess I like the boring stuff that, like, it's just people walking around. Like I said last episode, people just talk, drama ensues. That's the kind of thing that I'm into. So what makes a comfort film for me a comfort film, it really has four elements to it. And the biggest thing I say... The thing that kind of trumps everything else, because some some films can contradict um, the other elements of it. But the thing that usually stays consistent the most is that it generally has to be pretty uplifting. 
So, like, the general energy of the movie kind of has to stay somewhat the same and somewhat uplifting in a sense. Like, I'm not going to say Fruitvale Station is a comfort film just because, like, it's, it's heavy and I don't want to watch heavy stuff like that all the time, especially things that I want to come back to multiple times. So for me, it has to be generally uplifting and it, the energy just can't dip too low. Like I said last episode, I like it's all about the energy and there's a bracket of energy that a film has to have that I really like that I consider to be like a comfort film and it has to be pretty high. It doesn't have to be, you know, the the most inspirational movie you know, it doesn't have to be the blind side or anything. It doesn't have to be something that ends into where I have to, I'm crying because it was just so beautiful and the energy was just so high at the end. Like, it doesn't have to be that. But it has to make me feel at least decent by the end of the film. And then the second is more so with the genre. I mean, it doesn't have to be this, but considering that, like I said, I really just watch dramas, um, most of my comfort films are between a rom-com slash a rom-drom as I like to call it or just a light-hearted drama as I also like to call it so it's either a, a romantic comedy it's either a romantic drama or dramedy or it's just a movie like I said it's a light-hearted drama it's a drama things happen people get in arguments you'll get in fights there's stuff going on everywhere but it's is pretty is pretty streamlined throughout the entire film and that's what I like and that's mostly just what the kind of films that I watch go into like their categories it's not necessarily like it has to be a drama or it has to be a rom-com it's just like if you look at it most of them are these um, and then the last well it's not the last one but the third one which I wouldn't say it's the make it or break it because the first one's the make it or break it. But like the absence or presence of this element really does a lot to the energy of a film, which I think we can all agree on. And that is death or just generally heavy subjects. It doesn't always have to be death, but death is, you know, it's hard to it's hard to escape death happily. It's hard to, to bring it up and for it to not be sad. Some films have done it, but it's very rare. So I don't really like, not to say like I don't like death in my movie, but like as a rewatchable film, again, death just brings the energy. It just automatically brings the energy very low. And for a, you know, a lighthearted, a lighthearted drama, a rom-com, you don't really want that energy in that space. It, it kind of messes up with the the film. At least most of my films don't have death in it, which I guess can be a good thing for some people. Um, but also, it's not death that makes or breaks the film to be a comfort film or that makes or breaks it to be, you know, a lighthearted drama or just kind of like a regular drama or sad, I guess. Because like Beautiful Boy doesn't have any death. No one dies in it. But since it's about drug addiction, the energy is 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 pretty low. It's arguably pretty low. And so like it didn't no one died, technically. So 
you could argue that it falls in line with the rest of this, but like it's not lighthearted at all. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty sad. And so just general, general heavy stuff. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't come back to it that often. And that's why I wouldn't consider it to be a comfort film. Cause again, like drug addiction isn't comforting drugs. Well, you know, that's, that's another story for other people, I guess, but drug addiction is not comforting and watching it and watching people go through it. It's not a comforting thing. And so, yeah, beautiful boy is not on my list of comfort films that could be for somebody else. Maybe they have a knack for, I don't know, drug movies, whatever. I'm not judging, but you know, okay. And so maybe they're like, you know what? Beautiful boy is just so comforting. Like it just makes me feel so good. And that's them. That's them. And that's okay. But that's not me. So the last thing, a film has to be rewatchable. And again, there are some movies that are uplifting, are a lighthearted drama or a rom-com and have no death slash heavy subjects in it, but they're boring. There are some movies where, you know, it by any stretch of the means could be a very comforting film, but it just not does not have the rewatchable factor. And so for me, at least, again, for me, comfort films are films that I go back to a lot of times. They're films that I'm watching like once or twice a week. They're films that I can recite to you an entire scene from. Mine is Moonlight. <laughs> and so a big factor of it has to be that I, I can rewatch it because what else would what else is comforting about them if I'm not going back to them? You know what I'm saying? So those are my four elements on what for me makes a comfort film. Um, I have a few. There are some standouts and some ones that I, I really do come back to that I want to talk about today. And I think the first one, um, not only in light of my podcasting mug, but also in light that it's probably my favorite movie out of this list, out of all my comfort films and that is my good sis 20th century women like we love 20th century women we love it we love it i think that for me 20th century women is one of those things where it's like it's not i mean like you could say it's it is kind of like a comedy i don't know if i would say that even though like some parts are funny to me or like i think it's a generally funny film but I don't think it's a comedy. Like, I don't think it was made and created and marketed as a comedy. But I just love 20th Century Women because I love the setup of their kind of family dynamic. I'm very much somebody who I like the idea of, like, multiple people. I guess, like, the whole the whole saying of, like, it takes a village. Not saying it it does, but I like the idea of multiple people coming together to raise children or like children being influenced by multiple people in their lives I really like the idea and I like the idea of like just a crazy makeshift family where it's like I'm letting this stranger that I've only known for like six months that came into my life randomly and is only here because they're renting out my room in this big house that I have I'm letting them raise 
my teen son in these pivotal moments in his life because I don't know how to raise him myself. I really like the idea of that, I guess, in a sense. And I don't know. I think all the characters are just very, they're likable, but they're also very real. And they have a, a lot of humanity to them, I guess you can say. Like, they feel like real people. It's not that hard, but I can see how it's hard for some films to create realistic people in the time span that they have. It's so much easier to do in TV shows because it's like I have multiple hours with these people across multiple seasons to get to know them, to get to know small parts about them. But in a film, it's like you have to get the big parts and then try and fill in the rest of the details with dialogue and gestures and the way that they dress or act and stuff like that. And I feel like for 20th century women, they do that so well. And even in the way that they they talk about them, because... I know it's a mix it's a mixed feeling for voiceovers to explain things to people. They feel like, you know, it's they're being spoon-fed information, but in this case, I feel like it does a really good job because one, it doesn't just tell you like, "Oh, this is Molly and <laughs> this is coming off of insecure, I guess." <laughs> but like, this is Molly and she's a lawyer and she likes to do this and she likes to do that and her best friend is this and try and piece together like a realistic human being from these bullet points like it doesn't do that it tells you really the start of who they are the circumstances that brought them there and I guess towards the end it tells you about what their life is after this little snapshot of I guess all of them so for like the mother what's her name Dorothea for the mother she's like oh like I'm Dorothea I was born this time and I think it's side note I think what's great is that they have Dorothea and Jamie her son that do their own voiceovers but especially for them in this case it's really nice that they do their own voiceovers and they talk about their life um from a kind of like omniscient perspective because I don't know it again it brings a lot more humanity to them and just them giving you kind of like a biography of themselves aids so much more in creating realistic human beings but at the same time it doesn't take away from the other three main characters in the film by them not doing it I think it's just more it puts on a more proactive lens on those two because it's very much more about them than it is about the other three characters um but I think that still it gives the characters a lot of humanity and it gives them a lot of realness um but I guess what's so I don't know like what's so comforting to me about this film is the fact that first and foremost like it's so beautiful and well-crafted the story it tells is super interesting especially with it being a snapshot of like this particular year like towards the end of the 70s I think it's like 1979 so it's, it's at the very end of the 70s going into the 80s it gives you such a great snapshot of what the culture was like then in that specific year um, because so much of it deals with 
not so much like what people are wearing, but what people are listening to. So it deals a lot with the clash between like, I don't know, the punk and rock scene, which I don't think you get a lot of films talking about. But it's again, it's 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 also less of a period piece than a lot of films like set in the 60s and 70s are. Um, and again, it what I also like about it, I guess it's not related to it being a comfort film, but what I just like about the film in general is that since it is so specific to this time period, and since the director, Mike Mills, has such a great memory of that time period, it does not feel like a caricature. And I was telling uh, my friend Sydney this, because we were watching a completely different film. We were watching a film like made and set in the 60s. And I was like, it's interesting to see characters embedded in the time that this film is talking about wearing clothes that are just natural to them or natural to the time period because it doesn't feel like a caricature of the time period that a lot of movies today are because a lot of movies they're just trying to capture like a decade they're trying to capture an era so it's like this movie or this film is centered around the 70s and even though we're only tracking six months of this person's life this is a general 70s feel so we're gonna give you like the most stereotypical 70s feel and like it's not not saying that that's bad for every movie but you don't realize that it is this caricature of a decade or of an era until you watch like these very timely movies where it's like oh I'm watching a movie from the 60s set set and made in like 1964 so these characters they look normal for 1964 and they look like they're in the 60s but it's very much natural if that makes sense and not like oh it's just a bunch of poofy skirts and you know leather jackets and this and that because we're just trying to get the general scheme of the 60s because there's no real time period for this movie we just want it to feel like a 60s movie and I feel like Mike Mills did a great job at making this feel like a movie that would happen in real time in set in like 1979 if that makes sense hopefully that makes sense because I just went on a tangent about the time and the representation of that so hopefully that makes sense but that's what I really like about it it doesn't have to do anything with how comforting it is it's just an element of the film that I really enjoy but yeah I don't know I really love 20th century women as a film I think that it's really good I think that again the characters have they feel really realistic the time period feels really realistic um, I think that the general story is interesting and I really like how I really like movies that capture like relationships and so it's kind of like a, a character study but less on one specific person and more on the relationship of like two or three plus people um, and so I really like this film because it is more of a like examination or a character study of a relationship between especially the son and the mother and I think that that's not something that you see a lot of a lot of movies and tv shows if they're going to focus on a relationship it's usually some sort of like same-sex relationship not romantically just in general 
Um, so it's like, it's usually a son and a father going head to head or, you know, a mother and a daughter and how they're clashing or something like that. And it's rarely like a look at how, how it is to mother a son and how it is to be the son of like a single mother or something like that, you know? Because I guess for the film, that's what it is. It's a single mother raising her son in the midst of, you know, the 70s. And so the film is looking at what it's like to be Dorothea, be a mother in the 70s trying to raise your son, while also being past, I guess, the age of a usual mother because she gave birth to him when I think she was, I think they said, I think the film says she was 40. So she gave birth to him really late. And so she's already, you know, at this point, like well into, I think like her fifties or sixties. And so it's interesting because it, again, it just adds another layer. It's like, what is it like to be an older mom raising a son? Because there's a difference in understanding the world and there's a difference in communication when it is a single mother raising the only child, which is your son. You know what I'm saying? And so I like how it focuses on that. But then it also expands and looks at the relationship of, you know, these three other people um, and how their relationships with each other, but also how they have relationships with the mother and the son. And so it's so interesting because everybody is so interesting in their own regards, but to see how they all kind of intermingle with each other and see the relationship they have is really fascinating as well. But I don't know. I feel like I've been talking about 20th century women for so long. Um, But yeah, it's, it's one of my comfort films. It's my favorite comfort film. I don't go back to it though, as much as I do some of the others, just because I like it as a movie so much that it's one of those films that I don't go back to as often because I want to pay attention to it every time I watch it which is also why I don't watch Moonlight as much as I watch these films um, because watching watching Moonlight and watching 20th Century Women they are events they're not things that I just turn on and watch or just turn on and have the background or turn on and go to sleep to. They're films that I like I prepare myself to watch and then watch it all the way through. And so I guess with that being said, I don't watch them as often as I do some of these other films because a lot of these other films I like to turn on and like go to sleep to or I like to turn on and like clean or just have in the background. I've seen them enough, but they're not as, I guess, compelling to me. They don't have as big of a place in my heart as those two films do to where I don't feel the need to watch them every time I turn them on, if that makes sense. I feel like if you if your understanding of a comfort film is the same as mine, you'll understand as well. So the next one, it's not the complete opposite of 20th Century Women, but it's the opposite in the fact that it's probably my most watched movie. It's probably the movie that I've turned on the most. And that is Sleeping With Other People. It's on Netflix. I forgot to mention 20th Century Women is also on Netflix. Um, most of these are on Netflix just because it's, I guess, the streaming platform that I have the most access to on any given day. 
And so I just like to turn off the other ones that aren't on Netflix. It's not that I don't like them as much. It's just that like on any given day, on any given occasion, I don't have as much access to them. But they're all still comfort films. But Sleeping With Other People is the one that I go to the most. I don't know why. Maybe because it's like tried and true, just a rom-com. But also it's not. I don't know why. It just has the best rewatchability factor to it, I guess. Um, but Sleeping With Other People, it came out of, it came out a while ago, I think. Like, I think in like 2014-ish, maybe a bit, a bit later. But it's not new by any means. Um, but it stars Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie. They're like the leads, or I guess they're the romantic interest. But it's about Jason Sudeikis' character, Jake, and Allison's character, Elaine, or Lainey, as she's mostly referred to. Um, they meet in college, take each other's virginities, they go their separate ways and I think like 10 years later when they're both like established in their careers they meet back and they have feelings for each other but they want to keep one good relationship because they say like all of their sexual relationships end in turmoil and so they kind of make a pact to stay platonic friends but it's the movie's kind of like how they grow closer as friends, but also as like romantic love interests and them kind of fighting their feelings for each other and stuff like that. So I guess it's so comforting because it is like a trot, like a true like rom-com or rom-drom. Um, so there's not a lot of like high points. You know where it's going to go in the end. And it's just one of those movies that like you just watch for the ride. But I think people really underestimate some romantic movies in general. Um, I think it's like a lot of like comedy movies where people's personal preferences for that genre is so specific and so niche that not a lot of people like you can hardly get a good like comedy film with good ratings because, you know, what people find funny is so different. And I think the same is for like romantic movies because more so, one, I don't think people respect romantic movies and romantic comedies as much as they should. Not saying that they're like the most coveted films or, you know, they're the most transformative films out there, but I think that they have their place and there are good ones out there regardless of whether or not I love to see people fall in love on screen. Um, and I think that this is like genuinely one of those pretty good ones. I'm not going to say it's like the best. I'm not going to say that, you know, you're going to watch it. You're be like, wow, this is the most amazing romantic comedy film I've seen in my entire life. No, but I think that it's still like a good film overall. Cause I think that they do a lot. They do a lot of things differently with that film then I guess they would do most romantic comedies that you would suspect. Like, I think they do something different with the genre than I guess most movies would. Um, in the fact that I guess it's less about two people falling in love, but 
like the complete opposite of two people trying not to fall in love. And so you go into the film and you're like, okay, like I know they're going to end up with each other. They always do. And they do. But the process of them going through the roller coaster ride of like, okay, well, we're going to start where we meet each other and then we're going to separate. We're going to completely like forget about each other for a decade and then randomly come back, meet each other. You, you think that we're going to fall in love, but we're not because we want to, you know, have some sort of platonic relationship. And so they, you know, you watch them as they go through other relationships um, and figure all this stuff out. And then they come back together in the end. And so it's, I guess it's, it's a lot more satisfying because you see them constantly like not push each other away, but like try and deny their feelings, which I guess you can say happens in a lot of films. But I feel like in this film particular, since it's literally focusing on that, it's a lot different. And because I think that the comedy is interesting and I like the way that they write it because I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's witty. So yeah, I don't know. I love sleeping with other people, (laughs) the film And I don't know what else to say about it besides the fact that it meets my criteria. And it's just, it's one of those films that I am constantly going back to. The next one is my good sis, the incredible Jessica James. The incredible Jessica James is just like, uh, it's like changing. Well, first and foremost, I absolutely love Jessica James, the protagonist. Um, which is played by, and I guess loosely based off of Jessica Williams, the actor um, that plays the incredible Jessica James. I love her character in the fact that she's like a strong, confident black woman, but she's also very creative in the creative field, trying to find her way in New York. Like there are some characters that like you watch and you love because you feel like they're either an extension of you and your personality or they're like the person that you want to be. And I feel like she's both. (laughs) And so for me, I look up to the incredible Jessica James because I see so much of myself in her, but I also like love who she is and aspire to be her in some ways in the future. And so I just think that she's great. And I love that film because I love that it's one of the rare films to come out today that one focuses on a black character, black romance, but it's also about a black woman. I stand by, I stand by films and TV shows that center around black women or black girls that aren't also centered around trauma but I also believe that there needs to be more of them and so for me I love The Incredible Jessica James because it's one of those films that does a great job at writing and creating the story centered around a black woman that's not centered around trauma you know what I'm saying so The Incredible Jessica James it's a rom-com she It's about her recently getting out of a relationship with 
the love of my life, the love of my life, Lakeith Stanfield, which, side note, I know a lot of people are going to be like, why is Lakeith Stanfield not the center of this movie? Like, why is he the long, the long lost love interest and not the love interest that she's going to inevitably fall in love with by the end of the film? And let me tell you, I too am mad that that is the case. But I still think the movie is great regardless. And at least we have him to look at in the scenes that he's in and to be happy for him and her and their relationship when we see flashbacks of it. I know it's not as great as like seeing him as the love interest, but honestly, like if that's how you feel, then go watch the photograph. It's not the same, but at least you can put him as the center. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I understand, I understand, I understand everybody's sentiment, but I think the film is still great. Even if he's not, you know, the also uh, the other love interest, even if the other love interest is kind of odd, we're not going to talk about that. Once you've watched it like 20 times, you you forget. You don't even think about it. So you just have to watch it like 20 times. That's how I feel. But yeah, it's about her getting out of this past relationship. And she goes on a date with this guy who um, also recently got out of a relationship. He got divorced. She just broke up with her boyfriend. Um, and they are kind of, they're in the process of getting over their past relationships while also kind of getting together so you deal with that pull I guess and I there's a lot of great moments in the film where it does flashbacks of like her relationship with Lakeith Stanfield's character and I think those flashbacks and kind of like not those I, I don't know if I, they're not really called I guess you could call them hallucinations like they're not like hallucinations like drug-induced hallucinations more kind of like daydreaming I guess but you see some of those flashbacks or those like daydreaming moments um that give you a glimpse of their relationship and I really like that aspect to the film because they happen interspersed between you know her going about her life her dating this new guy so you can see how the heartbreak and in the pain of you know getting over this relationship kind of stays with her and follows her throughout the process of trying to get over it and then in the end when she actually like confronts him is really nice but it's it's I don't know like I said it's uplifting I guess you could say it's fun to see a black creative story about her being a black creative you get to like watch her kind of experience what it's like to try and produce is it produce I guess I don't know trying to get like someone to produce or stage um a play because she's a playwright she's an aspiring playwright in New York City and so you get to watch the highs and lows of that and how she kind of you know just like a a normal person following their dreams in New York City. And so I really like watching that, especially as somebody who wants to go to New York City eventually. And as, as a black creative woman, it's so nice to see another black creative woman going through 
that even if I myself am not a playwright. Um, so it's interesting. And she's just such a unique character. And that's what I just love about her so much. I also like how it's current, but it doesn't feel corny. There are some corny lines in the film, but I again, I think like after the 20th time of you watching it, it doesn't matter. And I don't think it takes away from the initial viewing either. But there are just so many great lines. <laughs> and like, I think my favorite is when she goes to visit her sister. She goes to visit her family for her, her little sister's um, baby shower. And the first one is when the mom's friend is talking about going to New York to see plays and Jessica James is like oh like what are you kind of into and she's like oh like I don't know like I don't I don't really have any taste and she's like you know what are you into and I love I love this quote so much because for me it describes exactly like the kinds of movies that I'm into and she's like so what are you into and you know Jessica James is like oh I'm into dialogue driven dramas that explore the human condition and then like the mom and the friend are just kind of staring at her and she's like, or I heard that cats was really good. You should, you should check out cats when it comes out. And so I don't know. That's just a saying from the movie that I love. I use that because again, I think it perfectly describes my taste in movies. I love dialogue driven dramas that explore the human condition. And then the second best part of the film is when they're opening the sister's opening up the um she's opening up the baby shower gifts and she opens up the one that her um jessica james gave her and it's abc's for subverting the patriarchal paradigm and so she flips to p and she's like oh she reads and she's like oh peach is a performing artist that uh what does it say a performing artist that questions the you know gender norms or something like that and on the other page is a drawing of peaches with a strap on and she's like oh that's really great and like closes the book really fast and Jessica James is like you know it's um it's never too late to start questioning the system and one of the guests it's like you know what system and she's like the system that we're all prisoners to and the other lady's like I'm not prisoner to any system <laughs> And Jessica James is like, you just pretended to eat poop out of a diaper. So, and I don't know. It's like moments like that where it's so funny and it kind of captures the realities of today. But to me, it doesn't seem corny at all. It seems just really funny. And I just love her. You know, it's it's moments like that where like I really, I really feel connected to the character of Jessica James which is ultimately why I love this film so much and because again we stand we support films about black women and black girls like point blank period <laughs> and so watching that film I love it I feel closer to her honestly and truly I feel like she is a, a real and true person living in New York City living her best life trying to get her her plays staged and produced and I can't wait to to meet her once I get to New York City myself so the incredible Jessica James again it's on 
Netflix. So is sleeping with other people. I don't remember if I said that. I feel the need to constantly say that because I want you to go watch it. Um, so the next, which again, it I don't watch it as much as I do like sleeping with other people or the incredible Jessica James also because I like to like watch it, but also because it's on Amazon and that is Lady Bird. I don't know. I feel like it's not uncommon for me to like Lady Bird. I feel like it's very much in line with my brand. So I feel like nobody's surprised. I don't feel like anybody should be surprised. So I love Lady Bird. I was hurt to find out that maybe Lady Bird in retrospect is not the best character. Um, which I guess you, I guess it is kind of obvious where because she has very she has very narcissistic tendencies where it's like okay sis I know this movie is like 99% about you but can you have a little bit more like empathy and self-awareness for the other people around you and I understand that but again she gives me so much she gives me so much Leo energy in the same way that like the incredible Jessica James does as well and not to expose not to expose me and my zodiac sign but I'm not a Leo but I think I'm I can never remember I think I'm a Leo moon which I feel is very accurate to me and the kind of person that I am but I also feel like that like that need to like be the center of attention is 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 in me it it rests in me to some degree it might not be as much as like how people say true leos are but i think it's in there and i see a lot of that in ladybird and i see a lot of that in in jessica james but i just love ladybird's spirit i love her spirit she's a go-getter she's determined she she has thoughts she she comes up with crazy ideas and whether or not they're the they're the best idea they're the smartest idea she gets it done and I like that and again what I like about Ladybird the the film in general is that it it is another character study of relationships and especially um the mother and the daughter and so I also see not a lot, not so much the tension, but just like the back and forth, I guess, in like my own relationship with my mother. We have a great relationship, much better than I guess Lady Bird does with her mother throughout most of the film. But I feel like mothers and daughters relate so much to this movie, regardless of like how close or how much you like bicker, go back and forth. I feel like at at the end of the day, like the true essence of this film, the underlying like relationship that they have is very relatable and realistic for like a lot of mother daughter relationships. And I like that they focus on that as well, because in so many in so many coming of age films and in so many movies about teens, the parents are just not existent. They just don't exist. And I feel like that is so far from the truth. 
there are so many parents that are very active in their kids' lives, even if their kids are going out and doing like other stuff. And that's what this movie portrays so well is like how how much the parents influence the teens as well and how they are present, um, even if it's not, again, in like what they do with their friends. But what the film does great is that it's not focused on just Lady Bird and her at school. It's Lady Bird at school. It's Lady Bird at home. It's Lady Bird, you know, working and other stuff like that. And yeah, I just love it. But I love her spirit. I know that she's not the greatest character all the time. I know that she's not the best person all the time. But you can't help. Oh, I guess you can because some people don't like her. Which, again, in retrospect, I can see. But she has a quality to her that, again, I relate to, I see in myself, and I really like. And that's why I guess I like Lady Bird in general. And I love the film so much. But it's also, like, again, it's it's lighthearted. But I guess there are sadder moments or there are moments that kind of tug on your heartstrings a little bit. But in the end, it, it ends at a beautiful spot. And yeah, I just love, I just love Lady Bird. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. I don't think that it's a chick flick though. I think a lot of people will see it. And the big part about the movie is her relationship with her mother. So they think that it's not relatable to non-women, I guess. But I again, I think that films that highlight familial relationships are very important to watch by everybody because I think it's just nice to to watch how family interacts with each other from other people's perspectives and to see how much it relates to you as well because a lot of people just think that like their family is what their family is and not saying that it's going to change your relationship with your family I mean it might but I don't think people are going to you know learn from this movie about relationships but I think it's still good to watch it to see other forms of family relationships if that makes sense I don't know but yeah I love Lady Bird I watch it all the time we especially love um Beanie Fieldstein or Feldstein her (laughs) She is a great best friend. I will say that. She does not she does not get the love and appreciation she deserves both in and out of that film. But she is a great character. And my highlight of Lady Bird is when Lady Bird and Julie, her best friend, are like fighting and Julie's like, "You got the role of the Tempest in the play that Lady Bird didn't audition for." And Lady Bird's like, there is no role of the Tempest. And Julie's like, it is the titular role. I don't know why. I saw something on on Twitter where it's like, what? Like, there is a line in, like, some movies that just stick with you. And that's, like, that line. Like, it is the titular role. It sticks with me because the way she says it is so great. And that entire scene is so great. Um, But overall... I just love Lady Bird. I don't know why. I love coming-of-age films, so duh. I love coming-of-age films about girls, 
I like female characters, so double duh. Um, but yeah, it's also just great and rewatchable. And there's a lot of humanity to it as well. So that's on Amazon. And I quickly want to go through some because I've been talking for a long time. Um, the last one that I want to briefly talk about, which it's at the bottom of like this pretend list I have going on, mostly because again, I don't rewatch it a lot, but it's still a great movie that has a lot of rewatchable, like rewatchability to it. I just don't rewatch it because it's not on any streaming platform. I have it as a DVD, but again, like there's more work going into watching like a DVD and putting a DVD into a DVD player than just like logging on to Netflix on my iPad and watching a movie. But it's still a great movie and I would consider it to be one of my comfort films. And that is Mamita's. It's older. I think it's a 2012 film. It came out of the infamous era of between 2012 to 2014, 15 era. Netflix had some of the best just like really low budget indie films and Mimitas was one of the movies that I watched during that time again I think it came out in 2012 maybe 2013 and it's just so good I don't know how to describe it it's so good it's it is I guess you could say like a romantic drama but very not romantic at all romance is I guess two genres behind the drama part <laughs> um, I don't know what that second one is but like drama it's that's what it is first and foremost and it's kind of about this guy named Jordan he doesn't do very well in school and he ended up he ends up getting suspended for a week because He's just a really bad student overall. And he showed up to like his history class late. And then when the teacher confronted him about it, he cussed the teacher out, who also ends up being the counselor because it's in kind of like the inner city of LA. And so it's not the, the richest part of LA. Um, and so because he had this whole, you know, riff off with his teacher um, and because he's just doing so poorly in school, they suspend him for a week to try and get his stuff together. And in that time, he forms a relationship with this new girl named... What is her name? I can never remember people's names. Oh my gosh. Oh, Philippa. Yes, I remembered it. Point one for me. <laughs> but Philippa, she's this new girl... She um, moves here from New York and she's a really good student. Um, and Jordan, they meet because like Jordan is trying to get with her cousin who's like really pretty and popular. And like Philippa's like not that pretty and popular because she wears glasses and she has a ponytail, you know. So he tries to get with her cousin and her cousin ends up ditching him. And so he ends up leaving, but her cousin ended up ditching her. And so she follows him to his house. It doesn't make that much sense as I'm talking about it. You just have to watch it. But essentially, 
she they just become friends i guess long story short they become friends and the movie's kind of about them becoming friends him dealing with some family issues and how she's there with him and along the way they start to form romantic feelings for each other but what makes the film so good i guess it's just good i don't know how to describe it to you it's just good it's again it's one of those films that like Comfort films in general, I can't describe you the specific elements in the movie that makes it a comfort film. It just is a comfort film of mine. And so that movie is a comfort film. But it also is really good. Um, it's not on any streaming platform, but it is on YouTube. There's like a free version you can find. If you look up Mamitas on YouTube, there's a free movie you can find on YouTube. So I highly recommend you go watch it because I think it's really good. And because, I don't know, if you're into like indies, it's a really great underrated indie movie. And I don't know what else to say about it. I don't have anything else to say about it. So we're not going to keep dragging it on. <laughs> but those are some of my comfort films. Again, I guess they're my standout ones. So going on to our sick flick of the week which again, is not just one. This is going to be in preparation for next week's episode because I want to do kind of like a deep dive into these. They're also TV shows. So we're going to be doing a deep dive into these TV shows. Um, so if you want to be a part of the discussion for next week, here are, I guess, what I would recommend for you to watch in preparation for next week, you know? So if you haven't seen them, you should watch them. There's only one season out of each TV show, so you should get through them pretty quickly. Um, the first one is Never Have I Ever. It's on Netflix. They're both on Netflix. I want to talk about it more in depth because I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts in my brain about it that I want to discuss. And I don't think a lot of people have been talking about it. I, I haven't heard hardly anybody talk about it actually since like it came out which it only came out a few weeks ago and the next what we're also be talking about is blood and water it's also on netflix again that one just came out very fresh they're both relatively fresh not by ron tomato standards but by in how early they came out but that's what we're going to be talking about next episode again to reiterate it besides that that's all I have for you. I'm so happy to be here for our second episode. And I can't wait to do this next week because like I said, I have some thoughts. So thank you for being here. Um, What else? Let me think. Hmm. Also, if you're listening to this, or I guess if you're watching this and you want to stay updated slash get more into the conversation of slick flick i do have an instagram for the podcast it's at sick flick dot pod at slick flick period pod um so yeah go follow that i give updates for when episodes are coming out if you also need that um and you know i try and have a discussion with you beyond just the podcast just beyond the weekly podcast so yeah besides that that's all i have for you and i'll see you next week peace
Peace out, Girl Scout.